The killers are more than Mr. Brightside, even if just how much more remains is in question nearly 20 years after the song's initial release. The Las Vegas imports have spent most of their career trying to forge ahead from 2004's Hot Fuss, only to be caught in the seemingly never-ending web of nostalgia that the album has produced for meme-spawning Gen Zers. The Killers have become one of the best-selling rock bands of the 21st century, headlining festivals, selling out arenas, and dominating alternative airplay. Yet the strength of Mr. Brightside cast them off as one-hit wonders in certain circles. The legacy of Mr. Brightside will span decades, ultimately becoming a time capsule of latter-day buzzbin bands and marking one of the final times that a guitar-driven rock act could become a household name. But it is the ten other songs that line hot fuss, the good, the bad, and even the ugly, that orchestrate the killers for who they really are. The band wears their influences on their sleeves, at best, they create a new wave sound for the present, taking what the Cure and New Order did and streamlining it for a newer audience. At their worst, they're merely aping the sounds of some of the most proficient bands to ever exist. Hot Fuss is an album of intense highs and lows. Artistically, it is full of bold choices and brazen in creativity. And commercially, with nearly 4 million units sold in its history, the album can only be looked at as a smashing success. And for that, Hot Fuss is an art school album. My guest today, someone that I I don't know super well, but someone I hear an awful lot about. Someone who, a year ago, as we're recording this, I was in his car driving at a dangerous speed down the the New Hampshire or was it was it New Hampshire that wasn't the state was that it was in, that was in New Hampshire yeah that's the, why I got da, pulled over down the New Hampshire highways we got pulled over and it was scary and I didn't like it and I really questioned my young relationship with this person at the time of like I don't know if I ever want to speak to this man again but a year later he's on the podcast and I'm excited to have Danny Develis on the Art School Albums pod Danny how are we doing I'm doing so well, Case. That was quite the introduction. I'm so glad you brought that up. I was really hoping you would. Um, I still think back to that day often. Your face is, it's just, it's just in my memory. Like it's just frozen there. You were terrified and I thought it was so fun. (laughs) And it was one of those where like, I understand in my life, I'm not a fun person. Like I have straight up said, I think fun is overrated. I think most activities that people think are fun, I think are dumb. Quarantine has been kind to me because I get to do all of the things I like to do and, and have a perfect excuse for not like pretending to have fun somewhere. I was genuinely terrified though, as we left Fenway park and headed to the mean streets of New Hampshire, and Danny was driving me and former guest of the show, Jake Klingensmith, across state lines, and we were touching 85, 90, 95 miles an hour, which is, it was, it was unbelievable. It was literally, I think, the scariest thing I've ever been a part of, because there is no, there's no coming back from a 90 mile an hour rollover. You are not driving a NASCAR. You do not have the safety precautions for that. It was very scary. My Honda Civic is close. It's close. (laughs) It's close, but it's not quite. That's the big difference. So other than uh, I'm sure you're still speeding around the Boston area. How are you doing? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm. I love driving. I, I've been driving everywhere, um, but and then I'm doing well. Um, my summer's been treating me well. I, I can't complain, honestly. I, I've had some sort of normalcy. I've been working at the same camp I've been working at for six years, and it's going great. I can't. I have no complaints in my life. When you are behind the wheel, is there a? <laughs> Is there a soundtrack that you like to accompany yourself with? Because I would imagine a highway star by, I believe, the band Deep Purple, although I could be incorrect by that, or any sort of fast, intense music would suit your driving style well. When you're behind the wheel, what's on the aux cord? 
oh, it's nothing but singles. There's no way that I'm going to be listening to an album with different tones of music. I have the same vibe going the entire ride. That's how I keep my, my need for speed up. Um, think of me as uh, like the baby driver. I've been compared to uh, as the baby driver. I want to be the baby driver so bad. That's kind of what it's like. Um, yeah, I play nothing but singles. It's nothing but like that anything that doesn't hype me up. Sometimes I listen to slow music to hype me up, but it's always to hype me up. Because when I'm going places, I'm going places. Well, in a way, you're a traveling hype beast. <laughs> That's basically what it is, yeah. Danny, I've heard rumors, and I would like to get your confirmation on this. Is oh, your sure they're false. Is your nickname in someone's phone Mr. Pitchfork? Is that a name you go by? This is not a name that I have chosen. This is not a name I approve of. But yes, this is my contact name on Jake Klingon Smith's phone. Uh, my contact photo is me yelling at him in the Dick's Sporting Goods parking lot. That rules. I wish I could have a similar experience to that. I would like to unleash some anger on that man. But but you are Mr. Mr. Pitchfork because I, I know you as a man to be full of red hot, if not white hot, scorching takes when it comes to not only the music industry but it seems like every possible thing and in this war zone we call life i felt like i was getting hit by the shrapnel of your fiery takes at the end of 2019 as we put the decade to a close i felt like i kept on hearing about danny's album of the year album of the decade list like this guy's got all the takes and i i gotta know danny i know we're into august now and we're at the start of a new decade but can you just briefly sort of summarize your album of the decade list to get an idea as to what you were listening to in the 2010s yeah, I'll say my, my list was sick. What, what else do you want from me? I, I had some good takes on there. I'm scrolling back on my feed on Twitter as we speak because I know that's where I put it. But honestly, I still have the Note app. I had the top 20 on Twitter, but we'll, we'll forego the uh, 20 through 11. I, uh, I'll just run it down the list, and I'll tell you uh, exactly why they are the way they are. Uh, number 10, I have Charlie by Charlie XDX. Um, I agree with everything Anthony Fantano says about this album. I think... Charlie is a is a pop queen. Um, she is going to be so influential in this next decade. I love her so much. She's hot on top of all of that. She went on a date with Brandon Wardell once. Um, every song on that album sounds amazing, and it's catchy as hell. Um, Blame It On Your Love, underrated single. I think that it's sick that she just rehashed two different songs at once. I think that song is awesome. 10 out of 10. Every single album on this list is 10 out of 10. That's not even a question. Um, number nine, I have This Is Happening by LC Sound System. I think it's the greatest example of just somebody being like, fuck it, we're going live and we're doing it once and then we're gone after this, never again. And um, bonus points for them coming back later. I think Dance Yourself Clean, sick song. One of my all-time favorites, when I had my radio shift in high school, I used to either start or finish every shift with that song. Um, I think that LC Sound System was one of the first bands that I listened to that were, like, cool. Um, and I liked them because they, they had uh, the song Us Versus Them on the Burnout Paradise soundtrack, and that's how I first got into them. Um Number eight, I have Modern Vampires of the City by Vampire Weekend. Very artsy album. I'm sure you've talked about it on this podcast before. We've talked about the first Vampire Weekend album, a critically acclaimed episode, Tally Dooley talking about the first Vampire Weekend album. Well, Tally's a queen, so she, <laughs> she of course, is, of course that episode was sick, but uh, that album is better. I think Modern Vampires of the City is a better album. Um, it's a more mature album. It's more adventurous, and I like the songs more. Um Number seven, I have Control by SZA. One, album cover, so sick. I think SZA is very beautiful. And I mean, if she's listening, I'm single SZA. Now, I think that that album really taught me about womanhood in a way that I had never thought of it before it. Um, I think that that album is really, really good in general. Um, though I honestly, maybe it's not a 10, but I really like it. So I put it up there. Um, number six, Good Kid, Mad City, because I am white and from the suburbs, so I think that album is really sick. <laughs> That's all I have to say about it. No, Everyone and that is, a, that is a good enough explanation. I completely understand. 
Um, number five, which I think is a better album than Good Kid, Mad City, I have Melodrama by Lord. This whole this whole melodrama shit and this Lord praise from this Boston contingent needs to stop. And look, I like Lord. I think she's talented, but she is put on such an artistic pedestal by all of these dorky improv white dudes that I know, and it needs to stop. It's too much. It's not. She's amazing. I I fully disagree. I think that album's sick. <laughs> What follows melodrama? <laughs> All right, number four, Channel Orange by Frank Ocean. Um, I love that album. Uh, I love Frank Ocean. He's my favorite music artist. Um, I think that whole album does sound orange. Um, Pyramids is an amazing song. Um, Thinking about you, a potato flew around my room. Um, that's all I have to say about that album. I have switched my number three and my number two since posting on Twitter. I've made it an executive decision. It's been enough time. My number three is My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye West. I think I don't need to say 10, according to Pitchfork. It's a 10. I don't need to say anything else. It's a 10. Is it, uh, is it better or worse Better or worse than the Fiona Apple that uh, ab- album that came out this year? God, it's so much better. <laughs> it's like, and I like Fiona Apple. A 10? I respect Fiona Apple. I a think that ten? album has not a... Not a catchy, not a catchy tune on it. I tried. I, it, it, it was like a fun. solid. Like I listened to it, and I was like, "This is like a six. And then I clicked. I I listened to it because I like her. I listened to it before I read the review, and I clicked. I was like, "A ten? Are you kidding me? For a fine right, no. album?" Okay, I knew that album was gonna get crazy numbers. I I knew Pitchfork was gonna review it on Tuesday because I always do their biggest reviews on Tuesday mornings. I wake up that Tuesday. I go, oh, this thing, they gave it a 10. I didn't even have to, I didn't even have to look. I just read the two sentence description, didn't need to click on it. I'm like, they actually gave this thing a 10. This is the first 10 in 10 years. I opened it up and I went, I still was shocked. I was like, what? And I feel like, you know, all these months later, I'm not reading a ton of like, that Fiona Apple album holds up. Like, it's not one that has continued discourse. It had a weekend where it was like, wow, this is something else. But it really... It does not even, what, five months after the fact, it's not one that I think is still in the front of people's minds. I think it's it's still the highest rated album on Metacritic ever. That needs to be re-examined. It has a, it has a 98 across like 40-something reviews or something. It's like, it's, I don't know, it's rated higher than the Pimp a Butterfly, which is not on this list. <laughs> <laughs> What Awkward. is after uh, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy? I got all right. So my number two and number one spots go to uh, two artists that I've been listening to since I was a middle schooler. Um, we have Igor by Tyler the Creator at number two. Um, during quarantine, I got a newfound appreciation for this album. I think it's genius. It sounds like a cartoon. It's entirely a concept album about one breakup from start to finish. Or it, I don't even know if it's a breakup or if it's just like some guy's a stalker and he's like just like in his head they've dated. I don't know. I love it. It's cool. I think is one of my favorite songs of all time. The fact that he's got the skate four like little like like vocals in the background. I think that's hilarious. Um, contrary to popular belief, according to Jake, I said I didn't get the uh, "Call Me by My Name" reference. That was in fact a joke i was being meta i was being ironic but he will claim to his grave that i didn't understand the reference just to to review because i know a lot of jake clinton smith lore i don't think i know this could you briefly explain the call me by your name reference so there's a line in the song i think that just goes um call me by your name because i'm sorry or call me by my name because i'm sorry whatever it is and um at one time we were listening to it in the car and i went Oh, now I get it. And he was like, you didn't even understand that reference. Are you serious? And then from like there on out, he was just mad at me. And he'll tell you that that's not how it went. But that's, pretty, that's pretty much how it went. So. And with that in mind, your number one album of the 2010s was? Do you, wait, do you remember what it was from the list? Do you want to take a guess? If you don't? Well, I I believe it was an album that when I asked you to be on this podcast, I was expecting and maybe fearing that you would <laughs> that you would pick this because and it's not necessarily to shame the artist it's just someone that i have never had any interest in have never really understood and the album that i believe you put as your number one and i could be wrong maybe this build up was for no reason whatsoever but i think it was blonde by frank ocean 
It's my favorite album of all time. Yes, it was. Um, no, I figured it's too much of an art school album to pick. I don't go to an art school, so I can't I can't be the one to do it. That can't be me. Well, thank you for knowing your boundaries. Uh, that's that's huge <laughs> that you would leave that territory for other people. I just don't and probably will never understand Frank Ocean, but that's okay. Uh, hey, we, it's okay to be homophobic. It's fine. <laughs> that's not it at all. I have very clearly stated on the show that I am an ally to all people, uh, and Frank Ocean falls under all people. Um we shared none of the same top 10 of the decade. That doesn't surprise me at all. I would have been shocked had anything in our list uh, intersected in the slightest. But I do think, first of all, what a beautiful job of running down those albums because you came in hot from 10 and you stayed hot until one. And it kind of made me thankful that we live and always have lived in opposite parts of the country because I do think if our geography uh, met and we were too close with one another with one another we might be too powerful together I think I've like I'm feeling very calm right now and like I know the person on the other end of the zoom call now like it makes me feel a lot better about myself so we know what you were listening to uh, throughout the decade. I want to know a little bit more, though, about what you were listening to growing up. Maybe the music that your parents were listening to, that that you got into, some of the first cool bands you liked. What were some yeah. early sounds in your life? Oh, so first memory of music I have, I have like a, like some spotty ones from when I was probably around three or four. Um, my mom used to listen to Kiss One Away, which is like our like main pop station in Boston. Um, and then she would listen to a lot of like eighties new wave radio. And those were like her two main like channels. Um, my dad had one CD pretty much. It was a Van Morrison CD greatest hits and I hated it. And that would be the only thing we'd listen to. And especially when we go to, um, at my uncle's house in New Hampshire, we would listen to it on the drive there. And it was my least favorite drive. I've always hated New Hampshire and driving up listening to that album still like it's like the most like torturous thing in my life and i hate it moon dance is my least favorite song of all time um van morrison by the way someone that i have a personal beef with don't know if i've ever said this on the show before or not but when i go to record stores uh specifically i remember entering amoeba hollywood for the first time sort of a sacred pilgrimage just a, a, an incredible experience noticed myself especially at amoeba but in any record store for that matter kind of fast walking like it's not it's not a jog because that would be completely inappropriate but i i go at a pretty brisk pace to the mo section and i am constantly looking to see what morrissey albums are in the bin because i hate myself and always i get so excited when i see just the cavalcade of records in this mo section and i flip through them thinking oh my god i've hit i've hit the jackpot i'm gonna find so many morrissey albums that i don't have so many of these 12 inch singles that i've been hunting down and it's always van morrison albums instead and i don't i just don't want to listen to that so you are like not astro alone. weeks nonstop. it's just <laughs> like i guess he like put out like a lot of albums in his career i think he's still going which van morrison you can pump the brakes on that i don't know anybody <laughs> that is in need of new van morrison work so it bothers me because he's sort of stealing the spotlight from someone who perhaps deserves a little bit more so your van morrison <laughs> hatred uh is welcome on this show all right, well, I'm glad it is. <laughs> There's more where that came from. <laughs> so uh, your mother uh, seems to at least have it have it down a little bit, you know, a, a pop radio station, and then you said some 80s yeah. new wave. That sounds like a strong upbringing. Yeah, that's that was her that was her music taste. It hasn't really changed since she let, like her main things now. She still listens to her 80s music. She puts on now. She puts on 80s pop. She's she's put on pop now um on like pandora radio she doesn't really listen to like real playlists um and she listens to a lot of 2000s indie pop and a lot of white rappers and those are her current so it's evolved a little bit that is an interesting evolution to dive headfirst into white rappers i think that is a bold move and one yes. that i I kind of have to respect it just because no one else is doing it. So more power to her. Now, you mentioned she does not listen to it. I'm going to use your words here. 
real playlist. I take it that you are someone who crafts and molds either your Apple Music or your Spotify playlist to perfection. How are you building these playlists? Are you building them by mood? Do you have any melodramatic titles for what you're listening to? Give me a rundown of your digital library uh, real quick. Well, I'll give you I'll give you a taste of um so I am actually one of those losers that just has a playlist that's only songs I like. Um, and so it's a running list. It's 2,352 songs right now. Um, and it's just like, whenever I come across a song that I'm like, I'm going to want to listen to it again. I put it on the playlist. It's called Chillin' Like a Villain. These are all public if anyone wants them. Um, I have, um, I have a, I'd rather be playing Skate 3 right now playlist. Oh, in which it's, right. It's a fake Skate 3 soundtrack. It's got 118 songs on it. I made this one um, to the like like thematic uh, feel of one of those like skate videos from the '90s, but it's not '90s music. Uh, it's pretty random music there, honestly. I have a 2000s party playlist. Okay, All uh, a lot of hits. a lot of Black Eyed Peas on there, I would assume. Yes, yes, there is. It is 69 songs in four hours and 20 minutes. You can check it yourself. That's actual truth. That is sick as hell. That is what I like to hear. Now, is Skate 3 your favorite game of the Skate Trilogy? It's my favorite game. Mm. <laughs> End it there. I uh, feel the same way about Skate 2. I think that is perhaps the greatest video game ever made. I, I You know what? Handshake over Zoom over that. I can appreciate that. I, I respect that. It is uh, just such a... It, it is a series that has brought so much joy to my life. A series that has introduced me to so many bands that... I, I was recently talking with someone when we talked about uh, the David Bowie, the man who sold the world with Tom Higgins, and we were talking about how skateboarding has introduced us to so many bands, the Killers being one of them. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but video games as a whole, something that introduced me to a lot of work, uh, one of the first Killer songs I heard was in Guitar Hero 3 when we were young. Danny, were you playing Guitar Hero at all growing up? Oh, I had Guitar Hero World Tour, got that for my what what ninth birthday something uh, like I remember, that i remember waking up and i had the whole band set because we all my friends were going through that phase and i was like oh my god i can invite all my friends over to play some guitar hero world tour um uh, i remember obstacle one by interpol was my favorite song on that on that soundtrack that was that was fun to play well you're a man with taste i mean i was just <laughs> listening to uh that entire album yesterday as a matter of fact and i am delighted to say that it still holds up and and it's funny you mentioned interpol a band that shined brightly in the new york city rock revival of the early 2000s with bands like the strokes and bands like the hives and bands like franz ferdinand and on the tail end of that resurgence of New York rock was a Mormon band from Las Vegas entitled The Killers. Danny, why are we talking about Hot Fuss today, and when was the first time you heard this band? Um, first time I heard The Killers was obvious. It had to have been whenever the first time I heard Mr. Brightside on the radio, back when it was like first came out. I probably didn't know who The Killers were. I remember having to ask my mom what the name of the song was in like fifth grade. I just heard it all the time and never knew what it was called. And I finally asked, um, never made me do a deep dive of the killers. Never cared. <laughs> I was just like, no, I like that one song. I don't need another song. Um, I think I once claimed it was my favorite song, but that was back when I didn't know what the name of it was though. Um, Oh, what else? Oh, and then I, I well, I listened to the album the first time three hours ago. All the way through was the first time you yeah. listened to the album? <laughs> Three hours ago for this podcast. And then I have to ask, why is this the album you chose? I thought it would be hilarious. <laughs> I wanted to make an album that's like so-so that I could listen to on the same day and give you the just like most clean, like easy takes possible. This <laughs> is such a curveball because for the past week I have been listening to Hot Fuss over and over and over again with the idea in mind that, you know, the the origin of this story, the idea that you heard Mr. Brightside on the radio, that I, I firmly believed and expected. This I, I had carried this lore in my mind though 
that you were a Killers fanatic, but you didn't like talking about it because they're not necessarily the coolest band right now, but you loved Hot Fuss and you stood by it and you loved all of these songs. And so for us to be at this predicament now, I, I got to say, I can't wait to see what unfolds because, again, I have spent so much time listening to this album over the past week that I I – I'm excited because I now have a very I'm in, no. I, I'm delighted because I like a lot of this album. I have a very enriched perspective on it now, and you are going to be, in a sense, following the golden rule of improv and sketch comedy, which is first thought, best thought. So we are going to get essentially your immediate reactions to an album that came out 16 years ago, as Hot Fuss did come out on June 7th, 2004. There are four singles from the album, the aforementioned Mr. Brightside, Somebody Told Me, All the Things That I've Done, and Smile Like You Mean It. Smile Like You Mean It, rather, not like you have meant it, because that would not be grammatically correct. Danny, I will also let you know now, I want to know if this surprises you or not, the statistic. I'm bringing analytics to the podcast. The Killers are the 224th most listened to artist on Spotify. Does that seem surprisingly high to you? It would be high if it weren't for the fact that I've never been to a party that I didn't hear Mr. Brightside at. I didn't, I've never heard of someone not knowing the song Mr. Brightside. I think that song alone, it puts... But then on top of that, they have some huge singles that aren't even on this album. They have So they have the four that are all big. They all have like over 100 million on Spotify. I checked earlier. They also got like when you were young has hundreds of millions. Like, I mean, they're popular. <laughs> they are. I think when it comes to modern rock bands, if we're talking about the two thousands and onward, so it disqualifies kind of Green Day, Foo Fighters, Weezer. I think it is safe to say the Killers are one of, if not the biggest, and I use this with air quotes, rock band in the world. You know, they headline Glastonbury. They have hundreds of millions of streams. It's the 224th most played artist in the entire world. The Killers are not some indie act. They're a big time major label success story. You know, I was so I was so surprised the first time I heard this album today that that was true. You know, I, I was like, oh, they were one hit wonder, you know? No, I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. Though I wonder, does uh, the Coldplay have more listeners? That is a good question because I think Coldplay is, for the most part, a pretty shitty band that <laughs> only has, I would say, one good song, and that is Yellow. And as I, I don't even like that song. As I scroll through Coldplay, they are the 41st most listened to artist in the world. That is why <laughs> this That's country is in shambles. Because we're turning to Coldplay in times of crisis. Are you kidding me? I mean, I, I, I can imagine it, though. I guess there are a lot of boring-ass <laughs> people out there that say, you know what, times are tough, let me put on some they Coldplay. Said, they said, I need to just look up at a sky full of stars. <laughs> they said, uh, I need something just like this. <laughs> they said, I need to be fixed. Put on Fix You. I'm looking for paradise. <laughs> Viva la vida. <laughs> Clocks keep going. Viva la vida is such a powerhouse. I that song. It's I love not, that song. It's like I. It would be weird. <laughs> it would be weird to actively dislike that song. Like that's fine, but that's not. But that could be any band song. That could be a U two song. That oh. could be. That could belong to anybody. It just so happens that Coldplay technically has the intellectual property to that. I mean, Florence and the Machine did it better. Dog Days Are Over is a better version of Viva La Vida. Florence the Machine, a band I would like to do a deeper dive into because I only know Dog Days Are Over. I love that song, though. It's an amazing song. That's one of my all-time favorite songs. That is right in that. Like, I saw that music video a lot because as a child, like 2009, 2010, I was probably the only person at that point in society religiously watching the VH1 Top 20 Video Countdown every <laughs> Saturday morning, and I remember a lot of Florence and the Machine, a lot of Black Eyed Peas, a lot oh. of Eminem, Not Afraid. That was a huge video. Oh, I uh, hate that song. <laughs> I just listened to a song. Is that off? That's off of Recovery, and I yeah. listened to... Uh, no Love featuring Lil Wayne yesterday, a song that I grew up loving and was so let down by the state of that song now. I was like, oh, this is going to kick ass. Like, it's a it's an Eminem post 
peak success story, like him and Wayne on the track. This can't fail. And it it was a bummer. I was really let down by the fact that I just think after 2002, there might not be a single good Eminem song out there, which is insane. I'm inclined to agree. Which is insane considering, I mean, uh, some of it, you know, you could say it doesn't hold up now. I don't know if it held up then, but there's a lot of good stuff in that 99 to 2002 period for Eminem. I think as well, let's let's get into the lore of Mr. Brightside, because here's the deal. The album opens up with Ginny was a friend of mine. It's a slow song. I wouldn't have opened the album with it, but I think it is a good introduction into what the killers do well, which are sort of these anthemic really loud, almost built for stadium rock, sort of synth rock sounds, and I think that's a positive, but Mr. Brightside is what follows, and Mr. Brightside should start not only this album, but arguably every album, but I look at a song like Mr. Brightside, like you said, you've never been to a party where this song wasn't played. I think this is our generation's version of Young MC's Bust a Move, where this will be at every (laughs) wedding, at every party, at every baby shower, we are going to hear Mr. Brightside for the rest of our lives. But I do think it is a song that has become memefied, if I may coin a phrase. It has oh, become of course. it has become memefied to a point where it falls to maybe an everybody hurts by REM or a lose yourself by Eminem, in the sense that we actually forget just how good of a song it is. I couldn't agree more, honestly. I think that there's a lot of these songs that like, and I think Hey Ya falls into the same category. Hey Ya being possibly my favorite song. That, and, is, and, a, and that, that is a great example of one. It's 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 a song that's like, it, the second it comes out, it becomes a timeless song. It could belong in any decade. It doesn't matter. You can play it and everyone knows it. And I think that when you do that, you kind of lose a bit of the art because it kind of just becomes like the atmosphere around you. Um, and I think that there's something to be said about songs that become at that level where it's almost like it's it's kind of like deity a version of like a song it's i think i actually i prefer a song like that i think a song should be a timeless statement well i i think most artists try to accomplish that it is maybe one of those things easier said than done but i appreciate your standards being either stone cold classic or nothing i think that is a a beautiful thing now you are obviously mr pitchfork uh, your album of the decade list was full of sad boy bops. Do you worry at all that a song like Mr. Brightside is so basic that it might hurt your image if you are seen publicly enjoying the work of art that it is? Wow. I mean, I, you would think that I would and people would think that I would, but truly, no. If it's If people find it that universal, there's something to be said about it. And I had... I didn't have this. I didn't have this opinion possibly even in high school. This is more of a college level um, discovery that I have. Of like, if so many people like something, it's because it's good. You can't argue that it's not because if that many people like it, it has to be good. That is logic. That is hard to argue with. That is that is fair. Now I agree. I want to say that I agree, but I've also been concocting this take. I've sort of been taking different elements together and experimenting with something that I think is is now baked properly and I think is ready to present to you someone that I think can understand the analogy that I'm about to set forth, which is that John Mulaney is the comedian equivalent of the killers. John Mulaney is what stand-up is to the killers are for alt-rock in the sense that if John Mulaney is your favorite comedian, you are probably a basic bitch. Now, if you like John Mulaney, that's cool. Same deal with the killers. I think there are songs on this album that should be used as launching points to get into other, maybe even not lesser-known bands, just different types of music. If you're standing the killers in 2020... You're probably a basic bitch. Is that a fair thing to say, Danny? I think in 2020, actually, it's it's lesser so. I think that it's almost to the point where standing the killers in 2020 could even be ironic. And, I think it would be the opposite. Well, in, in irony, we are living in a post-irony society, oh, which, is, which is the, wor- the worst thing that has ever happened, in my opinion. <laughs> Nobody takes anything seriously anymore, and I'm someone that is getting a degree in making people laugh, which, by the way, what a mistake that was, but everything <laughs> is now one big joke, and everything has to be some meme, and we can no longer appreciate works of art for just being legitimately good and enjoying them in a very serious and stern-faced manner, which is what I would like to do with 
with Mr. Brightside. I don't want to sing it. I don't want to smile. I want to feel it in my headphones and enjoy it for what it is, which is a, a masterful pop song. One of the best pop songs Absolutely. that's ever been written. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. I find that I find that this song especially, it's like there's a lot of these songs in the 2000s where it's in the, like the rock scene that are they're just like so aimed for catharsis like just blind catharsis like who can become the most cathartic and i i can see why it's been done away with recently but at the time i mean i i that's like my wheelhouse of that's my favorite type of music like if you can chase that catharsis that's what i want just give that to me it doesn't have to be about anything the band said in a 2012 interview that they remember going to the Virgin Media record store, buying the Strokes Is This It on CD, listening to it in the car, and then scrapping all of their songs with the exception of Mr. Brightside because they did not feel like if the Strokes could put that work of art out, then they needed to go back to the drawing board and try to compete with that, which, you know, I think it works because we got Hot Fuss out of it, an album that it just has a lot of strong points. I mean, the album as a whole is, you know, four singles, and as I quickly scroll back to uh, getting away from the Coldplay Spotify page to go back to the Hot Fuss one, I would like to tell the listeners that it is 11 songs in 45 minutes, and track three is Smile Like You Mean It, one of these singles from the album. Now, listening to this, Danny, I was like, you know, I knew the Killers had an affinity for the man they call Morrissey. I knew they were Big Smiths fans. This song kind of sounds like a Morrissey song. And then I read an AV Club article earlier today, and they said the same thing. So my opinions are just like the best critics in the world at the AV Club. We are uh, in line with one another there. Danny, where do we stand on Smile Like You Mean It? Um, I See, I was thinking about, so I, when, I, when I was playing this song, In the Shower, that's what I call multitasking, uh, listening to this whole album front to back. Um, for the record, I did know this entire A side. The, the tracks one through five I had heard on many different occasions. It was six through 11 that I had never heard of. Um, Smile Like You Mean It on some days is my favorite song on this album. Um, I think that it's 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 a it's a completely different song than all the rest. It has the same like uh, like energy of the other songs, but it it's not the same. It's anthemic, but it's not like in your face catharsis. And um, I think that that little like uh, I don't even is it an organ? They're like like there I think that's are, there are synths and keys <laughs> all over this album. I could not pinpoint exactly what that sound is, but I do know literally exactly what you're talking about. Yes. I think I think that I think that it sets it it's I think the song is a level above several other songs on this album. It's in the top three best songs on here. It would be my number four, although I do think it is a much more mature sounding song than maybe a Mr. Brightside. I think this is had the killers gone in this direction with their later works, I would have been much more welcoming to what they were doing. Whereas now, although I expect that I respect rather that they are this giant band Anything after Hot Fuss, no interest. I will I will say that now. Not a band I love, but an album that I really like because you have songs like Smile Like You Mean It, and you have songs like what I think is, I, I'm not going to say far and away the best song on the album, but I think it is a, a tier above anything, which is Somebody Told Me. Well, somebody told me you had a boyfriend who looked like a girlfriend that I had in February of last year. It's not confidential. If Jenny lays the groundwork for what the killers do well, I think this is flawless execution of the synth rock sound that the killers were going for. Yeah, and I, I somebody told me it was actually the first song on this album that I bought on iTunes. I the remember first that song ever. There was it was no, it was during the first year that I was buying songs. I think that was about I got my first iPod in about fourth grade. So I probably bought it in fourth grade. Um, and I did, I like, I didn't know Mr. Brightside was by the killers at that time, but I did know somebody told me, and I really liked somebody told me for that chorus. I think that chorus is in like one of the catchiest choruses of the decade in the 2000s decade. I think that, um, I don't like the rest of the song though. I just like the chorus, but the chorus is that good that I like it. I think that is a, a, a fair critique. I disagree with it. 
I disagree with yeah. it, but I think it is a fair critique. I know I've told this story on the podcast before that I got my first iPod in kindergarten. My dad won it and then gave it to his five-year-old son instead of his wife. It is still a source of tension in my household. I do remember loading up on the Jay-Z Linkin Park collaboration album. Are you familiar with Collision Course at all? I'm familiar with it, but I, I was not a listener. I didn't. I never liked Linkin Park. Um, I found, I've, I've never been, um, a big, uh, I don't know. It's, I don't even know what's wrong with it. I just don't like it. Well, they, I don't would, like fall under, <laughs> they would fall under the new metal genre, which it, it yeah, makes, like it, it makes sense to me that you don't like that. Uh, metal music as a whole is a dumpster fire and a waste of time, but I do have a slight affinity, even if it is slightly ironic for new metal bands. And if you're listening to this and you go, well, Jay-Z and Lickin Park, that sounds terrible. That is where you would be wrong. That album actually kicks ass. And I recommend that everybody listen to Collision Course. I think it is like a shockingly great EP, and I think everybody should listen to it. Danny, we talked a little bit earlier about skateboarding video games, about Skate 3, and you said you had a playlist of songs that possibly could have been on Skate 3. Is that correct? I do, yes. What were some of the songs on that playlist? Oh, I'll just I'll just run down some random ones here. Uh, some of my favorites. Um, well, okay, so I have I have a different Animal Collective song than what is in Skate Three. I made it a point not to put any Skate Three songs in there. I would have put Summertime Clothes because that song is perfect for Skate. I have My Girls instead, same album. <laughs> real, real quick note on that: uh, there is a new skateboarding game that came out called Skater XL. That song is on the game. <laughs> It's perfect. It's a perfect skating song. I mean, it's about recession. You know, when you know when you when your house forecloses, what do you want to do? You want to skate around. So I think it's it, it works perfectly. You know, um, I have uh, what else do I have? I have an Arrested Development song, People Every Day. Uh, a little bit of a. I have a lot of old school hip hop songs on here. I got Everybody by Backstreet Boys. Of course. Uh, yeah, I got. Um, a song I discovered, I discovered, I Christopher Columbus did recently. It's uh, Check It Out by the Beastie Boys. It's a later hit by them. Um, it's really good. There's one part where um, I don't know which of the Beastie Boys says it, but he just goes, fresh. Yeah. Shataya. And I, that, that's like, I love that. <laughs> that is good stuff. Well, I ask you that question because all the things that I've done which is the next song we're going to talk about, is the yes. first killer song I heard, and I said this just a few weeks ago when we talked about David Bowie's The Man Who Sold the World and skate videos and such. Day One Song, the professional skateboarder in the skate video Almost Round 3, which is on YouTube, you can look it up. Day One Song skates to the song All the Things That I've Done by The Killers. Day One is a legendary skateboarder, somebody that can do things on a skateboard that literally no human can do besides him. And he skates to this song, and there are shots of him skating with the L.A. sunset in the background. And it is one of the most beautiful things I have ever ever seen. So somebody told me it's my favorite song on the album, but all the things that I've done partially for that just gut-wrenching emotional imagery that I have is a close number two. See, now that's surprising to me because that song seems like it's almost too slow to be a skateboarding song. So that that sounds that's that's piqued my interest. I uh, I may have to check out that video. I would recommend it. It is an all-time great part. I believe it is a part of the Thrasher Classic series on their YouTube channel. And if not, then it is a well-circulated skate video that you can find with ease thanks to the wonders of digital media. Now, Danny, I have to ask you, this song brings in a gospel choir for a part where it goes, I, I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier. And for as much as I love this song, I do not like that part. I think it is incredibly cheesy. I think it is I unnecessary. <laughs> and you agree. And that is what I was looking Same for. <laughs> <Yep>. I think it <laughs> no, actively I, I like detracts from the that. song. Yeah, it is It is a missed opportunity because there's like a really good four-minute song there. And then they add that extra minute. And it it's not what the killers needed to do. No, I, I 100% agree with you. It reminds me of – I feel like Fall Out Boy would have done it too. Mm. Someone like yes. Fall Out Boy would have done that, and I think that the killers are above Fall Out Boy. I think that they they would they should make better decisions. 
Fallout Boy's first two records are incredible and huge sort of records in the transition between second and third wave emo, but I digress. My <laughs> other take on all the things that I've done, and and you are a bit of a hoops head, I believe. You enjoy the hardwood classics taking place in yesteryear and today. I think all the things that I've done should be a more commercialized hit, and I would specifically like to see it replace one shining moment at the end of every NCAA March Madness tournament. Could you envision this? The Killers closing out March Madness? You know, I had literally never thought of it. <laughs> I had never put that thought in my head, but as I'm visualizing it, like... I can see like Grayson Allen highlights to uh, <laughs> all the things that I've him, done. Him tripping somebody, <laughs> him, him getting upset. But then like that's a moment where it's like, oh my God, like the gospel choir actually works when you're watching like a dude hit a buzzer beater. Like that would be okay. And so no, that I, just that abysmal song that we have to listen to every year. Exactly. I, honestly, I could see that. I could see like one of those Visa, like Olympic commercials too. That's another thing I was just picturing. But honestly, once you talked about that skateboarding video, this song has kind of changed my entire view. Like I, I've, I've really come around on a different conclusion to this song. I think it is a marvelous work, and we now transition. Those are the first five songs. We now transition to the the second half of the album. One that uh, music critic and my own personal Jesus, Ian Cohen, has constantly talked about how the second half of Hot Fuss is one of the most disappointing things ever recorded. That the, the first half is just second to none. It is unbelievable. And what follows is not quite a dumpster fire, but there's there are dumpster elements to it. And I, I must agree with him because the second side starts off with Andy, You're a Star, which is a bad song. <laughs> oh um well okay so th this is the first song of the album that i didn't know um it came on and there's like these first two notes that are so ugly like it's like two like a star guitar strums that are just the ugliest things ever and i went i said i think i audibly said uh-oh <laughs> <laughs> but Honestly, by the end of the song, I was like, that was better than I expected it to be. I think like it was almost like offset it, it to be like, oh, no, set your expectations very low. And then by the end, you're like, that was better than it should have been. I understand that logic. My uh, difference is I don't think it ever improves after the first two bad notes. <laughs> it's a song where this is a glossy record. It's produced perfectly. It's mastered to perfection. And this song just sounds like shit. Like, the instruments don't sound good in it. The vocals are all over the place. It honestly sounds like a demo that they just forgot to take out of the album. I mean, I would. They, I think on the Wikipedia page, which I was perusing, they said that they just kept everything at demo level. That they never bothered to re-record anything. <laughs> I I would say that Mr. Brightside is not at a demo level. That is the most like mastered <laughs> song I have ever heard. But if they want to go with, oh, we just like threw some songs together and this album came out like this, like fine, I'll go with that narrative for now. But I refuse to believe that for most of the songs on here, on top included, which is what follows. I mean, it's not as bad as Andy or a Star. But I don't think it's anything special. It's very much an album I don't think track. It, I did not think it was special. I thought there was one element where there was, I think, this synth that was like kind of like, um, I don't even know, like it was like a bell or something that I kind of liked. But that was the only thing that stood out about it. I remember thinking, wow, that's the only thing that they ran on this album or this song. It is a stingy sort of buzzy synthesizer that yeah. I just, it wasn't, I, I I mean, my relationship with keyboards as a whole, I think you sporadically, <laughs> they're fine, but it, the music business as a whole is like, oh my God, we have keyboards. We have to use them. No, you don't. No, you don't. Like one song, an album, maybe one song in like an album cycle, like another like three albums, just sprinkle in one keyboard and you're fine. But bands get addicted to this thing. And I think it's a real issue, and the killers have unfortunately become just another victim of of the keyboard, the vicious keyboard cycle. And it's disappointing because you have songs like "On Top" and even "Change Your Mind," which is what follows. That it's just like this is what follows, Mr. Brightside. This is what follows. Somebody told me it's these songs. Are you kidding me, Danny? Am I alone See, in this? 
No, I don't think you're alone at all. I think, I think that, well, first of all, I do like a keyboard. That's where I disagree with you. I, I actually, I say every song can have a keyboard as long as they make it work. Um, but I think a lot of these bands in the early 2000s that started out following the strokes, like they went too hard into the keyboard by the end of the decade. And I think there was like a slow transition into like this like indie pop sphere of like, oh, we got to go a little more indie. We got to go a little more electronic. And I think that's where the, the faults lie. And they got to stick to what they're good at. And if they're good at doing uh, some White Stripes type guitar, they need to stick to that. I think that like go simple. Change I the songwriting. I think that started, and I've talked about this a little bit, but it's a big hypothesis of mine that I would eventually like to actually do something with instead of bitching about it, but Foster the People pumped up kicks, changed the music industry, because they were so specific and kind of in your face about don't label us, you know, we're just kind of doing our own thing, but that is not how the music industry works, that is actually detrimental to the larger process, and so radios panicked and we're like well i i guess it's alternative and then that became alternative radio and now we are stuck with listening to ajr at the top of the seven o'clock hour and bands as a whole have abandoned guitars and it's you know it's a shame see i have a similar theory that that um, pumped up kicks is the first post indie hit i think that the entire indie wave happened between i'd say maybe yankee hotel foxtrot all the way to merryweather post pavilion and then after that, everything else is post-indie. That, God, I love you. That is so good to hear. Just another human have those thoughts, because that is really... I was just listening to stuff on Arcade Fire, and Arcade Fire has been a band that has, has never done anything for me. But when I do I research, when I do research for all of these like mid two thousands project like bands, it's always like, oh, and then Arcade Fire happened, and then they suddenly signed to a label. And it's like, oh, okay, they're they're a big deal, even if I think they maybe have not ever had a song that I really care about. Now, Change Your Mind, which is what we're on here. Change Your Mind is interesting because it constantly I disagree. Asks, well, it says <laughs> if the answer is no, can I change your mind? And that, I don't know, that seems creepy. That seems like they're yeah, not d- taking not no for an answer. Well. Yeah, it has not, not aged, aged well. well. Thank you. It has not aged well. But I take it bigger picture. You're just not a fan of the song. This song was the most boring song on this album. I, I truly believed I li- when I was listening to it, I remember it being on thinking, I want this to end. I'm this is there's nothing in like where on top has that synth where Andy Eurostar eventually, in my opinion, evolved into a better song. Change your mind was bland front to back. Not too much of a fan. What did we think about Believe Me Natalie, which just to uh, give you some context behind this. Uh, it was a, a part of a three-part narrative lumped in with Ginny was a friend of mine and then the B-side Leave the Bourbon on the Shelf, which was uh, an alleged murder trilogy detailing the murders of this poor girl named Ginny. And we get a little bit of that with Believe Me, Natalie. Did this song grab you at all? Um, Not too much. I think right away it did sound a little different. Um, I forget what it sounded like. I just remember noting that it sounded a little different. Um, But... Well, I when I, I saw that same thing of the rumor of it being a murder trilogy, and I only say it's a rumor because it doesn't seem like it was too on purpose. If I feel like if they did, they would have included that B-side on the album to complete the trilogy all at once. I think that they should have made it a little more cohesive throughout the album if they wanted to loop that in. I get that they're the killers, so a murder trilogy is really fun, and I feel like they should have tried to stick the landing a little bit harder, maybe you know, switch Change Your Mind with the B-side keep the whole trilogy intact but they just didn't uh they didn't pull through for that danny what if i told you that i just read my notes incorrectly and the actual third part of the murder trilogy is midnight show does that change your opinion on believe me natalie at all no not at all i still don't remember what believe me natalie sounded like <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those where it's like up to this point of the second side i was like oh this is the best song like it's not great but it's, is it like gospely? uh if i remember it's got like some like churchy vibe to it or something or wreath or not a your urethra is not the word urethra urethra like um, is that a word i've never heard it it might be but it's not one i'm ethereal ethereal wrong syllable yeah so okay yes um I could buy that. I, I think you know this song. I, I think that is fair. Now, what about Midnight Show, which is what follows? Because I will say up, up top, my favorite song in the second half. I wanted a whole second side of this. I know what you want. I'm going to take you to a midnight show. 
showing um it was not my favorite song on the back half but i thought it was a stronger showing on the back half it was much better than the three that preceded it i thought well danny that concerns me because that means we've talked about 10 of the songs on this album which means track 11 the closer everything will be all right are you saying that is your favorite song of the second half or was there one earlier that you liked um, I added everything will be all right to my chillin' like a villain playlist. I thought, I look, it's a simple song. I know you hate catchiness, is what I've heard from Jake. Uh, you hate uh, rhythm or something. Yeah, that's, um, that sounds or right. Or melody. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't deny that. <laughs> um, I think it's it's a very simple song. It just repeats the sentiment, everything will be all right. And I, I, I it's not that I care. I really don't care lyr- lyrically for a lot of songs in general. Um, I'm, I'm a much more of a, um, feeling kind of guy. And I think that this song is nice. And I thought that, <laughs> I thought that at the back half of this album to stick out just to be nice, I'll take it. Again, the back half is rough, but the first half is so good that I still think it is fair for me to say that everything will be all right is the biggest letdown to close an album since Butterfly off of Weezer's Pinkerton. I hate when bands slow it down. I hate Butterfly. Oh, I hate my Butterfly. God. And could you imagine Could you imagine if they took Butterfly off that album and put You Gave Your Love to Me softly on it? Can you imagine what we would think of Pinkerton? I was thinking, no, on Pinkerton, I want it to be that um, that song that uses Why Bother again as like the refrain, but it's like all acapella. That's the song I want to close Pinkerton. We might have to talk about Pinkerton again. That was, that was the first episode, and I almost feel like we need to revisit Pinkerton once more but but anyways that is it reminded me of that where it was just so just soft and weak and such a bummer that it was just it was a bad way to close out an album that it has such strong singles but it, it could not muster up a strong enough rating for the gods that be at Pitchfork who gave it a 5.2 out of 10 Rolling Stone gave it a 3.5 out of 5 and the Alternative Press gave it a 4 out of 5 Danny I turned the tables on you if you had to give this album a rating out of 10 Mr. Pitchfork what are you giving it I'm honestly wait so are we doing on a scale of 1 to 10 are there decimals involved of course Where, is there it are up to me? of course There's there decimals? are alright honestly I think that a very so the way that people listen to music if i'm going to be recommending albums to people oh so many people just want to know what are the songs that i'm going to listen to what are the ones i'm going to skip personally that's not how i believe that an album should be listened to i think it should be one artistic piece um since the beatles made music cool i think that that should be the standard of what any album should be um before then it doesn't matter because they were just selling music just to sell music um but that's my personal take on albums as a whole Very Um, interesting. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I would say, though, if I'm recommending this album to other people, I would give it a 6.5. Because I think that especially that for if I was just rating the first half, it's an 8. Yeah, no, the first Um, half is 8-9 territory. I mean, it's really that good. Yes, it is. It falls off a cliff Thelma and Louise style. This album would have been an amazing EP. Oh my god, like can you imagine? EP. Oh my god. It would have been second to none. It would have been it would have been an all-time great on the same level as Collision Course by Jay-Z and Lincoln Park. <laughs> that is how we would have thought of Hot Fuss. But instead we had the second half of the album and with that in mind, taking the two parts that make the whole Danny I know you just heard half of this album for the first time ever three hours ago, but I must ask you, Hot Fuss, who needs to hear this album and why? Who needs to? Oh, oh! Someone that has—I say anyone in quarantine, because the one thing that I know that has not been happening in quarantine is catharsis. And literally, if you need to channel that, if you need to remember any party you've ever been to, if you need to remember any time that you, maybe, maybe you've had too many adult sodas, and you and you need to let something off your chest. I say any of the first five songs. Truly, you could sing at any karaoke bar. You could sing it. Just just sing it in your room. Just pretend you're at the karaoke bar. Your stuffed animals are your audience, and you're passionately singing. Uh, somebody told me at your uh, most or your least faithful teddy bear. I don't know. Like, 
this is this is an album for anybody that's bored truly that is perfect killers hot fuss an album for anybody that is bored danny this was one of the best hours of my life this was this was really big for me this was good thank you for doing this where can the people find you and what do the people need to know about in the world today um well people can find i see I find a lot of great stuff on Twitter and I retweet things and I tweet nonsense. Just follow my Twitter. It's a fun time at LA dream boy 69. Um, that's the only thing I ever care about plugging. Actually click on my SoundCloud link while you're there. I post some songs that I make. Um, those are fun. I would also like to plug. Um, I think, uh, I know that a lot of, there's a lot of political unrest in America right now. Um, and I think that people should not stop signing petitions and making change that needs to happen in this country. But also there were some terrible blasts in Beirut, as you may have seen. Um, and I have heard that if donating to the Lebanese Red Cross is the, the exact thing that they need right now. They need funding because their, uh, I want to say their economy was shattered because of this explosion. And I think that they, they need all the help that they can get over there with donations. So. A very noble cause indeed. This week, I would like to point people towards the Wheeler Mission in central Indiana, and they hope they help with homelessness in Indiana, providing social services to feed, educate, and otherwise assist the homeless in Indianapolis. WheelerMission.org, a tremendous organization there. And as always, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at underscore Caselow, C-A-S-E-L-O-W-E. You can find the podcast itself on Instagram at Art School Albums. If you don't want updates on my life, you just want to know when the podcast hits your feed, which is every Thursday, and you can rate and subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it is now. And this has been the Art School Albums podcast, and this has been the Killers Hot Fuss. Hot Fuss.